Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, Snapchat... Instagram, Fortnite, cyberbullying, sexting, and technology addiction are some of the digital concerns that keep today's parents up at night. Some of the statistics being quoted are scary. Common Sense Media reported that 50% of teens feel addicted to their phones. The Pew Research Center reported just last year that 59% of U.S. teens have been bullied or harassed online. Guard Child reported that 39% of teens have sent or posted sexually suggestive messages, sexting. Stanford University researchers tell us that a whopping 80% of students can't differentiate between real and fake news. And the World Health Organization told us in 2017 that technology is making children dangerously unhealthy. Yikes! These are not small-scale studies with questionable results. My next guest has been unpacking this research and working to understand how digital innovations have radically altered childhood and left us largely unprepared as parents for how to deal with the influx of technology and the fallout from these devices while also capturing the upside of these digital innovations that, yes, if used correctly, can enrich our children's lives. And regardless, this is the world we live in. We cannot shut our eyes and turn off all screens and say, that's it, we're done, without shutting off the digital world in which we must learn to survive and thrive. So what can we do? Diana Graber, a digital literacy educator and advocate, was honored with the National Association for Media Literacy Education's 2017 Media Literacy Teacher Award. She is the co-founder of CyberWise, a leading online safety and digital literacy organization, and the founder and creator of CyberCivics, the popular and innovative middle school digital citizenship and literacy program currently being taught in more than 40 U.S. states, the U.K., Canada, New Zealand, and Africa. Now, Diana lives with her family in Southern California. Diana is also the author of Raising Humans in a Digital World, which was published in January of this year. So I want to welcome you, Diana, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm so thrilled to have you. This is such an interesting topic. Before we get into the bulk of the interview, for those who haven't gotten their hands on raising humans in a digital world or know too much about what you do and what you've been doing for so long, what gets you up in the morning and what got you so fascinated with how to help raise good, kind, creative, connected, bright humans in a digital world? Oh boy, great questions. Well, first of all, coffee gets me up in the morning. Yes, for most of us, right? <laughs> and most people say that. Hey, coffee and going, coffee or yeah, kids, coffee. that's what I get is my answer. Yeah. 
But um, you know, what really gets me going is children. You know, mm-hmm. I've got kids of my own. I teach kids. I-, I love children. And I think that they're growing up in a very challenging world right now. I mean, it's so different from what we grew up in as children. And it's changing every day. So I, I think there's a lot that we have to know as parents, as adults, to help kids really thrive in this challenging environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for that, too. And it's such an important calling. We need that. You say in your book, we aren't going to win the battle against screens in the daily lives of our young ones. My parents couldn't do it with TV, and it's even more difficult now that screens go everywhere we go. But we can and must be intentional about their use. So let's talk about how we can be intentional about tech use, starting with kids who are maybe in the youngest age bracket. And let's go age bracket by age bracket, talking about intentional tech use uh, regarding limits and behavior and appropriateness. What should we be doing with our children starting at a young age and going through, say, their teens? Well, I'm glad you are starting with the youngest um, ages because I think, you know, digital literacy really starts the day a child is born. I mean, the minute they come into this world, even infants are seeing the adults around them, you know, grabbing their phones, looking at their screens, and and they're starting to learn those behaviors and and know that that's what you do if you're an adult in the real Mm -hmm. world. So Mm -hmm. number one, I think it's important for adults to model, you know, balanced tech tech usage. Uh, Number two is, you know, when a child's little, that's a really important time for them to develop, you know, social and emotional and developmental skills that will last a lifetime. So we know from, you know, long-term research that little children thrive best with face-to-face communication, playing with adults and friends, looking at people's faces to understand emotions. And, you know, any way you cut it, screens get in a way in the way of that development. Mm. So in my book, I really advocate for, you know, as limited screen time as possible when children are young so they can develop those super important social and behavioral skills. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then as the children get older and we've gotten through the early toddlerhood, so, you know, zero to two, zero to three, they really should be very limited screen use. But as they're starting to get into the three to six range and we're starting with educational television, what what are your suggestions for intentional tech use? Well, in the book, I call them digital on-ramps because you're right, screens are everywhere. So we have to teach even our young ones how to live in a world with them. Mm -hmm. So what I recommend to parents is use these little on-ramps to get your kids up to the speed of the high, you know, moving internet. And, And some things you can do with those really young kids is if they have some sort of interest that they're that they something they like let's say they like insects or dinosaurs you know sit together with them and watch a little short video on that and mm-hmm. and you know and increase their interest in those topics or let's say you have an a grandma that lives far away you know sit your child on your lap and write an email together to grandma or grandpa or maybe Skype with a loved one i mean these are really positive uses of technology and i think teaching children how to use technology in intentional, positive ways when they're little, those skills will last a lifetime. Mm, Absolutely. So then as they're getting older and they are now exposed more and more, they're in the older uh, elementary grades 
or even getting into middle school. This is where my kids are, third and fourth grade. My daughter is now starting to tell me her friends are getting phones. Uh, certainly in families where there's a single parent um, or a divorce situation, a, a bunch of kids are getting phones earlier so that they can communicate with the other parent when they're not with them. So what kind of intentional use can we have as the kids are getting more exposed to additional tech, going over each other's houses and playing video games together, or, you know, now they're starting to focus on the iPad. What, what are your suggestions for that age group? Well, this is where it gets more tricky because you might have certain, you know, rules or guidelines in your own home, but, you know, you have children visiting other homes where they may not have the same rules or guidelines. So one thing that I like to recommend to families is to remember it takes a village. So, you know, gather the people or the other parents in your village and maybe come to some mutual agreements on what's appropriate usage of devices at that age. I mean, that's really a tricky age because that's when kids are starting to use um, technology on their own. And sometimes they're seeing things or hearing things that they're not quite ready to understand. So, I mean, I just did a little podcast thing yesterday about YouTube kids, which is having some really, oh my gosh, I know, slip in and kids are left. It's suicide messages. Right. Sliced into their crazy. videos that they're watching. And you it was get, crazy. crazy. What was that yeah. called? Bobo? Me? Well, what well there's two things. There's uh, there's two things going on right now. Number one is uh, some hackers are splicing in yes. suicide message into YouTube video, kids' videos. Yes. So when kids are left alone with YouTube kids, a lot of time parents think, oh, you know, they've got great filters. Someone's watching the content. And that's just not the case. I mean, the filters are imperfect, whether they're human or technological, stuff slips through. So even when your kids are seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, they need you to know what they're looking at online. Right. There was um, that, that whole Momo challenge. Right. The I Momo could not challenge. even believe it was like mind blowing uh, uh, that, that these young children are having access to. They're, they're sitting there watching their Peppa Pig or whatever. And all of a sudden these terrible messages are coming and freaky. I mean, completely freaky, unbelievably inappropriate. And you just yeah. are mind blowing. That Momo challenge tells kids to commit suicide at the end. Oh, it's just so... I mean, who, it, I, who could possibly in their right mind do these types of things? It's just it's unbelievable. And, and, and the thing is, like, you know, when a child is still developing... They, they don't have the ability to think ethically or to right. have abstract thinking. So, you know, every kid is different. But for some kid, they cannot distinguish that that's fake or that that's ridiculous or that they should of turn course, it off. Of course. I mean, they're <laughs> unbelievably freaked out. And then they need some additional assistance to get over that, you know, how to process it. So right, it's just right. very frightening type of yeah. stuff. Okay. So I, I really think that those ages you're asking at are such vulnerable ages because yes. kids are still kids when they're, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, And the images that they see are not designed for children. I mean, we haven't even begun to talk about pornography or sexual images that they could run across. And so more than ever, they need us to know what they're looking at. At the very least, they need us to talk to them and ask them what they're looking at, perhaps use parental filters to at least a little bit filter mm -hmm. out the inappropriate stuff. But yeah, it's a, it's tough. It's a tough world. And then, it'd be, you know, then the other choice is then to sit down and watch with them. And I know uh, being a parent and loving my friends and understanding that being a parent can be really challenging, that there are times when you want to say, 
let them listen, you know, watch something that seems educational, you know, um, and, and completely benign so that you can put dinner on the table. You can, you know, do so it, it, it feels, it feels like such a, a slap in the face to be like, okay, this is YouTube kids. Or this is, you know, I, I understand that this is a safer environment for my child and then to find out that it's not. So what are you what are you suggesting for more intentional use with regard to these sites that people have come to rely on? Well, that's a, you know, that's a tough one right now, because I guess that just shows us that we can't rely perfectly on anything. Exactly. Um, that being said, you know, take a look at the stuff your kids are going to watch before they watch it if you can. Mm-hmm. I know that's asking a lot of a busy parent, but if you want to be 100% certain that your kids are watching quality content, it's almost incumbent upon us to make time for it. Right. You're absolutely right. Good point. Okay. So you talk in your book about digital leadership which is different than being a digital citizen. And I'd like you to tell us the difference, but also tell us about how being a digital leader, which I think ties in with our our kids and our teens being producers than passive uh, consumers, something else you talk about in the book, how being a digital leader can provide us with some of the best digital inventions um, and and, and really positive things down the line. Yeah. Um, this is something I've really learned from teaching kids. You know, I teach a digital literacy program called Cyber Civics to sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. And the goal is to get them from, you know, the very rudiments of digital citizenship to becoming digital leaders. And it, it's so much fun because we start talking about, you know, ways that social media has been used um, largely in other countries, a little bit in this country, to advance social causes, to change political situations, I mean, in really powerful, positive ways, and things even kids have done, like apps kids have created that are really awesome and wonderful and make the world a better place, or even blogs that kids have started. There's so many ways that kids can do really wonderful things online to learn, to connect, to engage. And so that's what gets me really excited is getting kids to that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what is it that helps to stimulate growth in that area that a child can have a, a, an interest or an idea and how to help bridge the gap from that idea to the actual innovation and helping them to become a digital leader? Well, I'll give you a good example. Um, One of the things I do with sixth graders is we talk about what it means to be a digital citizen and, you know, how we hope that other people online will be like honest and respectful and kind and all that stuff. And so then a little bit down the road, um, they do a super fun activity where they have to design their own app And, and they don't actually make it by coding. They designed it on paper first. But the whole idea is show me how you can help people be better digital citizens through your app and what your app will do that will be positive for the community of people online. So kids get so excited about this because everyone wants to be an app producer, right? Mm -hmm. So kids have come up with things that are just kind and thoughtful, you know, apps that send meals to the homeless or apps it helps people if they fall on their bike and it alerts people nearby. Mm. (laughs) And it's so cute because, you know, they're practicing being good digital citizens on paper first and hopefully will apply that when they go online. And then some of my kids have even been so excited about the apps they created that they've gone on to learn how to code Mm. in order to actually make their app. 
Mm. And so I think that's a good example of, you know, it's like a, a bridge. You've got to take kids slowly down the road, help them build these qualities of understanding, and then teach them how to apply that learning to the actual online world. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing the ideas that these kids can come up with. And if we can support them in you know, going further and really helping them to embrace their these new skills that they need, but right. also saying to them, your ideas are good. Like, yeah. let's put this into motion. I think that's it's incredible that the digital confidence that they can get, um, which then again underscores the benefits to yeah. all of these you know, digital innovations uh, that that so many of us wind up fighting against some of the time in our own households. Right. And, you know, one of the things I, I talk about this in the book, and I encourage parents to share these stories with their kids, but stories of other children who have made really great apps mm. that have become super popular. I mean, I think a couple of the ones I covered were Farm Alarm, and it was a, a couple teenage girls that created an app to help their parents because they saw that their parents were struggling to let their grandparents know what time to take their medications. Mm -hmm. And so Farm Alarm is a little app that reminds you, oh, it's time to take your medication. And built into it is a, um, a number it would call if the grandparent forgets to take the medication. I mean, it was so loving and cute and it was actually a useful app that these children created so i think it's helpful to today's kids to give them examples of other kids who have made popular apps that are really great and wonderful i love that i love that and i think that our listeners love that it helps them to say what am i going to do when you know when my child comes home today what would be a great conversation to have dinner time so i I absolutely adore that idea. Um, I want to go back to that idea of intentional tech use, but put a particular filter on it because we hadn't really gotten to the teens yet. I want to talk about the nitty gritty of privacy because now we're talking about middle school, high school. Privacy is really important in technology. So if you could whisper in the ears of parents and educators, or the children themselves, um, while the kids are now having full access to tech, what would you say are three things that have to be taught to kids about technology and privacy before we hand over the reins, let them out the door, you know, and, and say, have at it? Oh boy, you're right. Privacy is super important and it and it kind of gets lost sometimes in the conversation because we think about cyberbullying and sexting and all that. Yes. But what I would tell kids and and adults is that, you know, privacy, it's your currency. Your personal information is what you exchange with internet sites and apps for information. So, you know, guard it guard it because it's valuable. And and understand what you're getting in exchange and think about if that exchange is fair. Um, second to that, it's super important to teach kids what these uh, sites and apps do with their personal information and how they customize the information they give back to us based on the information they collect from us. This is really, really important. Um, one of the things I cover in the book is this idea of filter bubbles. Um, what's happening now is the internet knows so much about us that it's feeding us back information and advertising that it thinks we want mm. based on what we like. Mm -hmm. And that's super dangerous when you're a kid because when you're a kid, you should be exposed to a wide array of things, mm -hmm. right? 
not mm-hmm. just what the internet thinks you should see. Mm-hmm. And so I like to teach kids about that because kids are natural skeptics. And when they learn and understand about that, how that works, they actually don't like it. Mm-hmm. And so they will go to mechanisms to make sure that their personal information is not taken so freely. Um, I've seen this happen again and again, and it's ma- it's amazing what power education can provide um, and have kids start being the own guardians of their personal information and protecting their own privacy. So what would be an example of what a child, a teen, a preteen might do to protect their privacy online? What What would be an example of what you would tell them? Well, I don't really tell them, you know, again, in my um, classes in school and also in the book, I try to provide um, activities so kids can come to these discoveries on their own. And, and so one of the things I do, I do this with seventh graders, I actually make them read the privacy policies of Snapchat and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And you would think they'd hate it. But actually, when they learn what the words mean, and then they start looking for the words and trying to understand it, they, they get kind of excited. And they, it's always like, Mrs. Graber, did you know that Snapchat doesn't really erase all the messages that they say they're going to erase? Mm. <laughs> Good discovery. And so watching the kids like actually figure these things out for themselves, it's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had kids that have decided with some apps, once they've actually delved into the privacy policies, they've decided it's not worth the exchange and actually not use the app. Mm -hmm. So that's much more powerful than me telling them, you know. They're kind of coming to that discovery on their own, which is really nice. Oh, that is amazing. You mentioned sexting. So I would love to now move that intentional tech use and understanding when it comes to our middle schoolers and our high schoolers to a conversation about sexting. So you're, you, you know, your child now has a smartphone. Um, everybody else in their world has a smartphone. So what is it that you're you're imparting to them about sexting that they have to know before they walk out the door with their phone? Well, you know, I just taught two lessons on sexting earlier this week, and it never ceases to amaze me how much how little kids know about the consequences of getting caught. Mm. And number one, kids absolutely need to know that sexting is the sending and or receiving of a sexually explicit message. So mm-hmm. think about that for a second. An unsuspecting sex message sent to a kid's phone can get that kid in as much trouble as the kid who actually sent the sex. And of course, I can hear the kids going, what? That's crazy. Yeah, How can exactly. I have any control They're over like, that? Well, yeah, that's not fair. Why is that? You know, and it's not fair. But right now, the laws largely that cover sexting are still our child pornography laws. So until those are updated, that's where it stands in most states. So kids are really unaware of that. And then when I tell them the possible consequences, legal consequences and how severe they are, they're also like, what? That's not right. But, you know, that those are the facts. So what what are some of the consequences that alarm them the most? Well, the fact that they could be put on a sexual register, you know, mm-hmm. register, that's pretty um, severe. In the state of California, you can be suspended from school if you get caught mm-hmm. either sending or receiving a sexting message. In some states, it's, uh, you know, it's against the law. You can be fined or possibly put in jail. Um, there's been so many stories about kids in different states that have lost scholarships or been kicked out of school or all kinds of stuff from sexting. And, you know, luckily in some states, they're starting to update the laws, taking into consideration that it's not all often, 
you know, it's not exactly child child pornography. It's a little bit different. Mm -hmm. But that hasn't happened. It hasn't happened here in California. And so until then, kids really need to be made aware of how severe the consequences are in their own state and in their schools if they get caught sending or receiving a sexting message. So what is your advice to the teens if they open their phone and they find that there's a message being that has been sent to them and it's clearly sexting? Uh, my advice is they delete it immediately. And that's really different than the advice we give them for cyberbullying, which is, you know, take a screenshot and tell a trusted adult. In this case, because if you have it on your phone, you know, it's considered child pornography and it's on your phone. So my advice is delete it. Um, You can tell a trusted adult about it afterwards. Hopefully a parent, you feel comfortable enough sharing that information with your mom or dad. And if there is an investigation and the phone company needs to get involved, they can actually retrieve that message later. But if you were ever asked what happened, you say, look, I got the message. I knew it was wrong. I immediately deleted it from my phone. Mm -hmm. Mm, Okay. You've heard it here, folks. All right. Let's play a game called What's Good, What's Bad about new technology. (laughs) Okay, you've written about this in your book, uh, in not in those words, but we like to play games here and, and talk about these kinds of things. I love activities where we can demonstrate here on how to talk to kids about anything, how to do it, and then parents, educators, they can use it in school, they can use it at the dinner table, um, or traveling from activity to activity. This is, is inspired by a book you recommend by Jason Oler called Digital Community, Digital Citizen, where he wants kids to be digital detectives, where you Mm -hmm. think about inventions, new technology or tools, what they've done to make society better or worse, connect people or disconnect people. So I would love to play this game with you. And let's start with an old invention, since you use it as an example, the bow and arrow. So how has that been was that bad and how is that a good invention in terms of connecting disconnecting people oh i love that you chose that one and and this is a game that i play with the kids it's actually our very first lesson in cyber thanks to dr oler um and i have kids look at these technologies and think about is it good or bad but more importantly how does it connect people to one another and how does it disconnect us Mm -hmm. so so for the bow and arrow um obviously one of the things they came up with is that you know, before the bow and arrow, um, people used to have to go together to hunt. Like in the in the old days, you know, they would have to go out as a group. They would circle a big animal and together bring the animal down. Mm-hmm. You could never do that by yourself. You would need a community to do that. Right. And with the bow and arrow, that changed everything because a hunter could go out by himself and, mm-hmm. and bring down a big game for everybody. So that's kind of changes things. It's a disconnection. Um, one of the things I love, though, is a kid told me, said, well, I I can think of a way that a bow and arrow connects people. And I said, how's that? And they said, well, when Cupid uses the bow and arrow, Cupid makes a love connection. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, you know, he's not, she's not wrong. <laughs> right. I thought that was adorable. But really the point is, you know, every tool introduced to humanity throughout the ages has changed us in one way or the other. Right. Um, we tend to think that just today's technologies are world changing, but you know, the telephone changed us, the, uh, you know, the car changed us. And I want kids to think about how all those things impacted the way we live with each other. I love it. I think it's so important. So let's, let's do, um, let's do the TV. Good, bad. Okay. Yes. Okay. 
that's another one. You know, before there was a TV, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to sit there and watch and not talk to each other. But now the TV, you know, everyone's sitting there glued to it. So you're not having that conversation. But on the other hand, it does bring people together, sitting together, and you're talking about the common things that you're watching on the television. Mm -hmm. Often when we talk about that, what the students will say, God, that's so different now because in my family, everyone has their own iPad and they go off to different corners of the Mm -hmm. house and watch Mm -hmm. alone. Mm -hmm. So that's what's different today than from when the television was introduced. Mm, Absolutely. Okay. Um, The internet. I think that's a great one. The internet, good, bad. Oh, well, that's the ultimate one, isn't it? Right. I mean, you know, the internet brings us so much information and it connects us with people and it we can learn new things. But on the other hand, it also delivers cyberbullying sometimes or it delivers sexting or it delivers inappropriate information or it disconnects us from each other because we're glued to it all the time and we're not having those face-to-face conversations. Absolutely. Oh, the plus and the minus, right? Right. I mean, you know, it's so interesting because people will say, well... I reconnected with people that I never would have reconnected with from college um, or across, you know, across the seas. I've been uh, communicating with people from other countries. My kids are now, you know, they, they know so much more about different cultures. But then at the same time, they sometimes aren't as connected with the people right here in front of their face. So right. I think that's it's it's an important thing to talk about. I'm going to give you one final one before we move on to the next question and because um, it's so meaty and that's the smartphone. Oh, well, you know, similar to what we just talked about, the internet, the smartphone is wonderful. You can take pictures. <laughs> you can navigate yourself. I mean, it delivers all kinds of benefits. It's the most wonderful remote control for your life. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you know, you're walking around staring at your smartphone, not looking at your surroundings or not looking at the people around you or not having conversations. So definitely pluses and minuses. Right. And, you know, we even saw there was that movie, Eighth Grade, where everybody's sitting next to each other. But they're all looking down at their phones. And I think we've all seen that before right. where people are sitting at a table together and they're on their phones, not talking to one another. And right. so, yes, it can connect us with other people and other interests, but at the same time, disconnect us with the people in front of us. I think this would be such a good game to play with our kids, you know, at the dinner table or, yeah. you know, in, in you know, right there in the classroom, because it gets them thinking. And I think they need both sides of the baton. They need to see, you know, what's good, what's bad. Yeah. And it it just gets them thinking of technology as a tool, you know, not as this world changing thing, but it's one in a long line of tools that, you know, humankind has had to learn to adapt to. Mm. Um, One of the things I love to do with kids too, that goes hand in hand with that activity is to interview, be a detective, you know, interview a parent or a grandparent, ask them what their life was like before this. I loved that activity. Uh, Yeah. The stories, I mean, it kind of brings tears to my eyes because they'll come back to the classroom and says, Gosh, my mom said that she used to go outside and play with all the neighborhood kids after school. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like it was just this revolutionary yes. thing. You know? Yes, exactly. So. <laughs> or they discovered something in the woods. My brothers yeah. would go out into the woods and they would bring back turtles. I mean, it's yeah. just like so interesting what, know. You know, what we would do and what we would come up with and right. learning about life. I mean, 
where did I learn that when you cut a worm in half, it, you know, both sides squiggle? It's, right. That's with my friend Randy on, you know, outside on, on the driveway, you know, yeah. and it's yeah. amazing the, you know, what you learn about the world, but how much slower it felt. Yeah. Um, and I love hearing about those stories. I thought that was a great, great activity. Yeah. The nice thing about it, it's not judgmental. You know, you're letting the kids kind of think it through themselves yes. and discover the pluses and minuses for themselves. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Can you give me a script? Because we're all about scripts on this show. I think this is a, a strength of yours since you talk to students about this all the time. What can parents or educators say to children, the specific words that would help them use technology as a good digital citizen or a good digital leader, when you are getting ready to give your child their first phone? Well, I think it's not so much a script as a checklist. Okay, um, go for it. And, and I actually put a little checklist in the book, but I think it's important to, to discuss with your child and to ask yourself if your kids have the following skills, and I'm going to see how many I can do from memory, but sure. you know, do they know how to manage their reputation? Super important that they understand everything they post online stays online forever and people will judge them by it. Um, can, they maintain, can they maintain their privacy, which we talked a little bit about already, you know, uh, maintain a privacy over their personal information and know when to give it away, when to keep it back. Can they have safe relationships? Do they know how to keep, um, be careful of who they friend or who they follow and to protect themselves from cyberbullying and sexting? Um, number four, do they know how to keep balance? Can they um, manage their screen time and not be caught up, you know, staring at their screen all the time do they know when to walk away and balance it with the other good stuff in their life mm. um, so it goes on and on there's about three other things but basically what I like for parents and teachers to do is go through that checklist with the child because all of those things are important there's not one thing on it that's not important and make sure a child has a basic understanding of each of those things before you hand them over this incredibly powerful device mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that can make, help them make mistakes you know you want them to to pre you want to preempt any mistakes and not have to clean them up afterwards. Okay. I would love to go a little further with one of the things that you said in terms of uh, how to talk to kids about, let's say we're going to do digital reputation. So let's take a point on your list and let's say we're going to go a little further with that. So, okay. so um, this idea of digital reputation, it of course bleeds into real reputation. That's mm -hmm. uh, as evidence we have of so many times we've seen this happen, but uh, you, you talk about even in your, in your book. Um, and I, I recall the incident when 10 bright young students accepted to Harvard um, wound up having their acceptance letters revoked because they did something online that was viewed as offensive and inappropriate. Um, and so they actually created a reputation for themselves uh, in, in real life that started online. So if we were to talk about digital reputation to kids, 
what would you say? And I'll even quote from uh, my friend and colleague, Sue Chef, who I talked to previously and who actually wrote a quote for your book. She's um, somebody who did uh, online shaming and uh, wonderful work in that area. She said, what goes online stays online. There is no rewind. So tell us what you would say to a child about reputation and um, making sure that they're ready to embark on this on this tech aspect of their world. Well, again, I think it's so powerful with kids rather than telling them is to do something with them so they can come to this understanding on their own. So sure. one thing I would recommend to parents is maybe do a little activity with your kids. And here's one that I love that even works with younger kids. But think of people that you know, you know, they can be celebrities or they can be family members or they can be friends and Google them, you know, say, Hey, we're going to kind of Google this person and see what the internet says about them and, and read their digital reputation together. And, and one thing I would say, maybe do this ahead of time. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> so if nothing, nothing comes yeah. up, you're like, uh. yeah, <laughs> make sure nothing inappropriate comes up. Oh, sure. But it, it's an interesting way for a child to judge someone else online and discover how the internet, you know, really paints a picture of somebody before you even know them. And it's kind of fun, you know, you can Google yourself and have your child do it with you. Google dad and see what comes up. Mm -hmm. And in that, in that way, your child's understanding the impact of a digital reputation without actually, you know, you saying, don't post something online. It'll stay online forever. Yes. I mean, tell a kid that it's going to go in one ear and out the other. Exactly. Right? Absolutely. So, so that, that I think is a super effective way to do it. What we do in the classroom is I actually tell the kids that story. I that love that story. Yes. Kids. Yeah. And I, and I have my students pretend that they're college counselors and they have one full scholarship to award to a prospective student. And so I've gathered up the digital reputation of two different students that they have to study and decide who gets the scholarship based on what they see about this person. Mm. No, understanding that it's not just what came to them on paper, uh, right. but also now what is being Googled about these kids and exactly. what's looked at online. So you're right. giving them the full picture of, oh, this is what's been posted on Instagram. This was what was right. posted on Snapchat. Okay. Right. Yeah, that is extremely powerful. And to give them the perspective of the college counselor, you know, or the college acceptance committee and say, who would you accept? And how did you come to that conclusion? Clearly, right. because, well, this person has more character, right? You know, exactly. yeah. And, and then the kids, they start understanding that sometimes a person's reputation isn't just formed by what that person posts about themselves but what other people post about them and mm -hmm. tag them in. Mm -hmm. And that's another, adds a whole new layer to the discovery, right? Because right. then kids start understanding, boy, I got to be careful who I'm friends with because who knows what my friends are posting about me. Right. All of a sudden they're tagged in a picture where yeah. people are drinking or they're doing something inappropriate. And now birds of a feather flock together and right. college committees say, that's not the kind of person we want here. Or exactly. when they're looking for a job, how many times yeah. have we heard that, that people aren't getting jobs because somebody Googled something and it came up that this person said something racist, this person right. said something, you know, inappropriate in a different way. And it, it came back to, to really haunt them. Right. You know, uh, it's funny. I, 
actually interviewed some of my original students for my book at the end. And one of the boys told me, he's now in college, that he went to apply for two different jobs where they asked him to pull out his phone and scroll through his Instagram account so that they could make sure there was nothing inappropriate there. And he said, Mrs. Graber, when you were telling us this stuff when we were in middle school, I thought you were making it up. (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. And what a powerful tool to anybody who's listening. Even just that is so powerful. If, If a college counselor an athletic director, um, a, uh, a somebody who's looking f- to employ you in a job, had access to your Instagram or to any of your other social media apps. What you what they saw would that be representative of who exactly. you really are as a person and what you want to portray as as right. who you are. And, and what the Harvard story reminds us is those kids thought they were on a private Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And as I tell my students all the time, nothing online is private. It always gets out. Right, exactly. Because it, it, so many of their memes became viral and then were right. shared outside of the private group, um, but originated in that group. So exactly. that's where it wound up landing in terms of, of getting in trouble and uh and unfortunately for them, those 10 people no longer were going to Harvard. And uh, it really, ch- you know, changed the course of that that moment, that year, yeah. that was four years, yeah. and perhaps the trajectory of their lives. Who knows how it right. impacted them? Right. Oh, just so sad. Yeah, it's sad. And it is a very large mistake. But I think that our kids can certainly learn from these types of mistakes. So uh, unfortunately, it had to have happened. But I think it's what we can learn from it now. And I like that we have really concrete examples where our middle schoolers and our, you know, older teens can look at those people and say, that could be me, because they they relate so much. I mean, who's not going to relate to, uh, you know, kids their own age that are using the same apps as they are? Right. All right. All right. At this point, I would love your top tip. What do you want parents and educators and coaches to come away with so that they can help their the kids in their charge, their own kids, to become uh, thriving humans in a digital world? Oh, boy. Number one tip is talk. Talk early. Talk often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Be curious, ask questions, find out what your kids are doing online. Um, Don't do it in a judgmental way. Do it in a curious way. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, it must be so exciting. What's on there? Let's talk about it. Um, Be aware of what they're looking at and who they're friends with and what they're exchanging. And, you know, for schools, educate. It's so important that kids are getting lessons in digital literacy. Um, It breaks my heart when a school doesn't make time for this because kids will spend so much time in their future on devices. Mm. They must be taught how to use them productively, confidently, and safely. Mm. Thank you for that. That is, it is really important. And I know that for some parents and educators who feel like they're not so confident in the area of technology and online, this can be feel like a daunting task. What words of advice would you have for, for people who don't feel very confident online? Well, uh, you know, it's not about technology, it's about neurology. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important for adults to remember, kids don't need our help pushing the buttons. They're perfectly fine at figuring that out on their own. They need our wisdom. 
They need the wisdom that we've gleaned by being on this planet longer than they have. And so every parent can provide wisdom to a child. And in return, maybe the child can teach us something about pushing the buttons. But, Mm. you know, we have to remember that we're smarter than the kids as far as life goes. And it's life online and offline. It's the same. Oh, great advice. Thank you for that. Give us the resource of the week. Where can people go to get more information about you, your book, and all the great programs that you're doing? Um, Well, my book site's www.raisinghumansinadigitalworld.com. And then in addition to the book, we also offer cyberwise.org for parents and uh, educators to learn about the online world. And there's um, cybercivics.com is a curriculum. Um, And one thing I didn't mention that's super important is we have a great um, discussion guide that goes along with the group. Oh, great. Um, It's also available on the book website, but I really encourage parent groups to get together and talk about this stuff amongst themselves. Um, It's, you know, like I said earlier, it takes a village. So Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do is give talking points to adults that they could discuss and kind of grapple with these issues and help each other help their children. Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you for providing that. And I'm sure people will take you up on that offer. Don't worry, everybody who is driving or exercising, running in the park, wherever you might be uh, at the store. Uh, Don't worry, we will have all of the links that you just heard about on the show notes on my website. So you can get to that at any time. And I just want to thank you so much, Diana, for your insights and your strategies. I think it's really important, the activities that you provided so that parents and educators know that they can actually do something in a really interesting way that can help the kids engage with this material and this information without feeling like they're being talked at. So thank you so much for providing all of that today. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. (laughs) Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman and I'm going to be going back and forth with Diana Graber uh, with memes that I'm going to be creating with great quotes from this podcast and you can share them and talk about them and ask questions. I think that is so important and those will be up on the show notes and it also be on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And if you love this podcast like I did and know how important it is, I hope you would go up to iTunes and rate and review it. So important for exposure on iTunes. They rate things by all the reviews and I would just love it if you would do that so that more people can find out about these outstanding solutions and these activities that Diana provided today and use them in their own homes, their own schools. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. Perhaps you're thinking, I didn't have that conversation, or when I did have that conversation, I said the wrong thing. Don't worry. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. You didn't do it right the first time or you think you should have done it differently. Do it differently. No problem. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you 
next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.